If one of the hardest things to figure out these days is what to watch next, first of all, congrats. Second of all, you should check out HBO Max. Discover something new to watch on HBO Max like Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams that's got everyone buzzing. Plus, HBO Max is the only place you'll find new binge-worthy Max originals like Selena Gomez's new cooking show. You heard that right. Selena Gomez's Learning to Cook, from some of the world's best chefs, no less. Find your next favorite all in one place on HBO Max. Start streaming today. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Let's talk about your cell phone carrier. When you think about your plan, does what you're getting feel fair? When it comes to staying connected, don't settle. When you switch to U.S. Cellular, not only do you upgrade to fair, you're also joining a reliable network you can trust to have your back. No hidden requirements, no activation fees. Now that's fair. Learn more at uscellular.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks the world should make shadow love, not shadow war, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Jim Shudo, the chief national security correspondent for CNN and co-anchor of its daily CNN newsroom. He's also the author of a recently released book, The Shadow War Inside Russia and China's Secret Operations to Defeat America, which is quite pertinent right now. Jim, welcome to Rico Deco. Thanks so much for having me. Real, right. A real pleasure. Well, you know who told me? Poppy, your host, Poppy Harlow. She's, uh, she's, she's a great publicist. partner, and, I, and I'm lucky to have her. <laughs> so you have to have them on, yeah. or, or else. I don't know what the or else part was, but I, I would be happy because it's a great recommendation because this is a topic that I talk about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you cover national security, and obviously cybersecurity is an important part mm-hmm. of it. I've spent a lot of time with Ash Carter, a bunch of other people talking He's about in the, the book. topic. He's in the book. Exactly. That's what I was talking about. Um, so let's talk a little bit. I want to get to the book in a second, but let's talk about your back background, how you got to what you're doing, including covering national security and and anchoring CNN, which is sort of in the middle of, you know, it, it itself has become a topic in this administration. Yes, a target. Just, re- just the other day, he did it again with yep. AT&T. The stock went up, though, <laughs> which means, uh-oh. Anyway. So I, I started my reporting career as a foreign correspondent. I, I always wanted to be overseas and sort of chase Why? the stories. What, what, you, what did you do in high school that made you want well, to do Well, I'll tell you. You wanted the, the origin story, and it's interesting because we, having just passed the 30th anniversary of Tiananmen Square, mm-hmm. I, was, I was a freshman in college in uh, May, the end of my freshman year in May 1989. Mm-hmm. And I had a sister. I have three sisters, but uh, another sister who was interested in China. And she was living over there at the time. And my, my parents and another sister went to visit her. And they found themselves in Beijing in late May 1989, uh, taking family pictures inside the pro-democracy protest there. Mm-hmm. They left the day that martial law was declared. And then in the succeeding days, they, of course, read about and saw on television mm-hmm. the horrible Which events that took place afterwards. Which was very happened on television, too. Absolutely. And those images, and they, they were heartbreaking for them because they'd met many of these young students, and it was just such an exhilarating time to be mm-hmm. there. In fact, I fished out, I found these uh, the other day, My mom saved all these newspapers from around the region reporting the news of of the events of the early morning, June 4th, 1989. Mm -hmm. So I'm choosing my major Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of folks looking at American political history, this or that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to study China because there's something going on over there and I want to know about it. Uh, That turned out to be my major. And after college, I went out to Asia. Study China meaning learn Chinese or what was the? Well, study Chinese history and politics and culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after college, I decided I want to go live there. I did did a Fulbright fellowship, took Mm -hmm. me out there. And I ended ended up staying out there as as a reporter, traveling around the region. This was in the early 90s and mid 90s. Um, And it just gave me a bug on the country, the region, the culture, but also a bug for Getting paid to travel mm-hmm. the world and bring back so stories. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Right. Do you speak Chinese? I do. Uh, kind of lousy when I'm not in the country, yeah. but when I returned recently and yeah. I, d- I did a stint in government, I dove right back into it and mm-hmm. I was decent. I was pretty decent. Early to that. Yeah. And so so you so you wanted to be a foreign correspondent, not you didn't want to go into diplomacy or, or the well, State Department. I, did, I, I think, wanted to be in the State Department. You know. Did you well no and I, I went to the Foreign Service School at Georgetown. You did. Yes. Well you okay. So, so when I wanted I would, to be a spy. Jim. Well, we all want to sort of be spy. No, I wanted to be a spy. I wanted to be Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condor. I wanted to be an analyst yeah. that analyzed scenario building. I could see you doing it. Well, I'll tell you. It's what co- I do now. 
in college. You know, I'm a spy right now. I, it's the longest con in history. I would believe ahead. it. <laughs> think about it. When I was in college, I did think about foreign service, but I felt, I felt, I, I, I looked at the folks who took the foreign service exam and felt like mm-hmm. I couldn't pull it off. I just did, didn't feel like I knew enough and mm-hmm. I, I was intimidated by it. Later in my career, the only other path I considered pursuing besides journalism was government in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would come up years later when I was offered this job as chief of staff of the ambassador of China. This is just in 2011. And I took mm-hmm. that job. So I mm-hmm. said so that's – and I explored that for a couple of years and I'm glad I did. And I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. But I still think my nature is a journalist. So I, I came back to the fold. So you're doing a, a, a foreign correspondentship. What got you into national security? I so so I went over to uh, London for ABC after nine eleven basically nine uh, eleven happened I was went to cover the the attacks at the Pentagon I was based in Washington at the time but immediately afterwards I raised my hand I said I want to go cover I want to cover the aftermath of this mm-hmm. I want to go to Afghanistan I want to cover the region uh, and I did and, and I went there in early two thousand two and ended up staying I mean I was based in London but staying covering the region for a decade that followed I went to Iraq a dozen times. Went to Afghanistan a dozen times, Iran a dozen times, all over there, Israel, Palestine, mm-hmm. you name it. Um, and that, you know, covering the wars, covering the intelligence behind the wars, mm-hmm. uh, covering the terror attacks that followed and efforts to prevent terror attacks, that got me into the national security space. And I, I sort of never never gave it up. It was just interesting to me and, and substantive and a little bit exciting. And so you – what brought you to CNN? Then you moved. For, you were at the major networks, which, and then of course, yeah. lots of people moved back and forth between them. So I did a long, long. I did a decade, more than a decade, with ABC, principally mm-hmm. overseas. Right. Came back to Washington in 2010, 11. Was really bored mm-hmm. to be back covering at home, yeah. covering Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have that excitement of hopping on a plane every mm-hmm. couple of weeks to go somewhere mm-hmm. new or exotic. Um, and I went to the White House Correspondents' Dinner in 2011. I'm so sorry. And I found myself, although that was back when they still told jokes. So, no, you know, it was, I never liked that thing. It was a little too close with their sources. It always well, made me nervous. And a little too many celebrities, too. Yeah. It, got, it got down there. But I went there, and I was lucky because sitting next to me was the new ambassador to China, Gary Locke. Mm-hmm. Uh, just appointed, and he was about to be sent over. And we got to talking about China. We talked the whole dinner about China. And then that followed with a lunch and then another dinner. And he came to offer me a job as his chief of staff. He said, listen, I've been looking for someone, not a typical candidate for this job, someone a little outside the box who can kind of give me a, just a different perspective of these things. How would you like to go? Wow. And the first question I asked was to my wife. We had two young kids. And she said, I'm game. Uh, and she's, she's a journalist as well. She still works for ABC News. So she was excited by it and, and the prospect of, of taking our kids over there to absorb the place and learn something. So once I had her approval, <laughs> I said, yes, uh, I, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll take a risk and dive in. And, and uh, how was that? So on the good side, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I was right in the middle of this country and, and this relationship with this country that I'd studied for a number of years. I had a high-level security clearance, so reading the intelligence. I was in the room for many tense, high-level meetings and in the midst of difficult decisions between the U.S. and China. Uh, I was literally a fly on the wall, right? How is that different being journalists? How bad are we at doing our job? Well, it's funny. You know, I think that we have the impression Mm -hmm. that the folks on the inside – know everything, right? I oh, mean I don't they have, have that impression. well, or that they that they have access to knowing so much, mm-hmm. right? They have access to the intelligence and surveillance satellites and intercepted communications and all this kind well, of I stuff. Well, I think it's a goat rodeo, but go ahead. Well, well, cuz I've been on the inside of internet companies. Fair so enough. You know, you know. No, I, I just assume it's the same in government and everywhere. Else. And I learned that lesson. I mean, I think right. that at the end of the day, you realize just like in in companies, right? It's imperfect people make with imperfect information mm-hmm. making imperfect decisions, often doing their they're darndest, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's it's there, there is no all knowing anyone in the in these circumstances. Uh, so I certainly learned that, um, and I'm not questioning motivations because I, I met a lot of dedicated Americans who really love their country and are mm-hmm. fighting hard to to do the best they can. Um, but you know, they make mistakes too, and a lot of them. The the other frustration was that you know journalism, as you know, is it's a very self driving business. You take mm-hmm. the initiative. It's your product. You're developing a product every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, government is a, it's a, it's a top-down kind of structure. It's a, like a military organization, chain of command. Um, and that's slow and frustrating. 
and uh, a little confining. So I did it for a couple of years, learned a lot, and said, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm a journalist. I'm going back. Right. And so you go back to CNN. Uh-huh. How did that happen? Well, I kept relationships mm-hmm. while I was there, uh, but oftentimes— but an anchor. That's a big job. Well, I— First, they took me back as a national security. Like an anchor. Oh, thank you so much. There's a lot of work. <laughs> it when may I not be a compliment, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, first, I came back as national security correspondent. The anchoring, mm-hmm. the anchoring came later, um, but they knew that I had the chops for it because mm-hmm. I'd spent a lot of time in, in on the ground of these countries. And I think you know that kind of on the ground experience is often Equipment. lacking in, in right. Washington. Right. You know, one, yes, you can operate under any circumstances and and make it happen. But two, I had, I. Been to Iran. If we're talking about Iran and its nuclear power, I've been there. I've been inside, right. you know, the government, the plants. Uh, I've been inside the wars. I, you know, I wasn't dealing with with uh, theoretical knowledge of this stuff. I was dealing with firsthand knowledge. So, right. so that helped. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you found in your career. I do often find in in a, in, in a career that your best opportunities. I don't want to say they come out of the blue, right. but but I was lucky at that point that I wanted to come back, that there was a position and they were looking for someone like me and I went yeah, for no, it. Yeah, no, I do. I yeah. do think it's important to have on the ground mm. things. Some of the times everyone's like, oh, that's your opinion. I'm like, no, I covered it for years. I really am right. I'm really <laughs> like, I'm actually accurate. As opposed I've to seen it. Yeah. You just are saying it and stuff like that. So it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting thing. It's really important to have operational experience no matter what you're doing. So you so you do the show every day and you, it's a daily show that you have to like, be clever for two hours a day, essentially. Yes. People uh, always insult anchors, but I'm like, you have to be quick and facile a lot. Like, it's like, it must do. be exhausting. Poppy and I, we blow up the playbook every mm-hmm. day because mm-hmm. news breaks, particularly right. during our hours. Yes. Doing 9-11, you know, they committee do. hearings, etc. Trump tweets something always. There's always a tweet. Exactly. And I think the day, when I was at ABC and you had the old school kind of evening news broadcast, right. very news. scripted. Right. You know what, you know what they were going to say, mm-hmm. you know. Cable news in this era, when you have a lot of live interviews with newsmakers, you have news breaking during your hour. Very little of it is scripted. Mm-hmm. Um, we do our homework. Poppy and I work hard. We we know the issues before we go in. Uh, but you're reacting in the moment, and you right. got to do it with with some intelligence and knowledge and and respect. And you know that could be challenging, but it's fun. Do you when you think about sort of the impact of just a previous guest I had was telling you about sort of the corrosive effects of uh, cable sometimes mm. and 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 it's true. How do you look at that? I, I would say the the evening ones are more you know they're more um, you're more news driven mm, essentially, we are. and that means reactive. It does, right. you but news driven versus opinion driven. Right, if of that course. Makes sense. No, that there's I actual see. news happening. There's a shooting or there's something. Yep. You know, this week there has been like ten things, right? So, so talk about that concept of what's happening now. So, because you had worked at broadcast, and this is not that. You're right. Um, we, you know, people ask me a lot. You know, do do we have an editorial line at, at CNN, or, mm-hmm. or am, I, am I encouraged to follow a certain editorial line? The answer is no. We're, we're encouraged to follow the news, and and you know, our bosses care about getting it right. Um, we we have, you know, whenever we're accused of fake news or making stuff up or making sources up. And you know where that criticism comes from. Mm-hmm. I say, guys, you don't know how vetted our reporting is. And particularly in this era, mm-hmm. it is more – the stories I do, particularly when it's sensitive stuff, never been more vetted than anything I've worked on in my life. Where, you know, what are the sources? You know, multiple sources. Let's make sure the language is precise. Let's go back to them. I want more clarity on this or that. I mean – you know the the level of vetting and editorial, um, not not control, but editorial the editorial standards higher than I've ever experienced in the business. So so one we got to get it right. Two we do our best to avoid an editorial slant. Mm-hmm. You know the, I think the bigger challenge is, and one reason I wrote a book is mm-hmm. that you don't often get the opportunity to connect the dots and provide context. Right. right. You, it's you, it's you, the next thing. It's, it's the, the hot take. Thing. It's the twitchy culture. It's exactly. Twitter. Twitchy culture, really. Exactly. So, you know, that's one thing I, I think that we could do better. We could do better for people. When I, when I talk to my sort of uh, unscientific focus group of friends and family, I think that's what people are clamoring for. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I know what's happening, but I'm hearing it from 27 different angles. Tell me why I care, how this fits right. into the bigger picture. Why is this different? How should I prioritize? And that's something that we try to do every day. Why can't that be like that on cable? Because like, this is why I do podcasting because it's long and substantive. Yeah. Right? a substantive discussion. Even our short ones are substantive. Yes. We do. I mean, listen, we do. We yeah. try. Right. Um, of course, you know, you, you could be doing that and then 
heck, something else happens, right? right. You know, some guy walks out of the committee. It, it is reactive. Yeah. I think that you know, I, I try to look at it from my career and just as as a journalist mm-hmm. that you're a voice over time, right? Mm-hmm. And and you you just do your best to add value over time, right? Right. You know, you're, How do you operate under the pressure of sort of being called fake news? CNN is the one that's most targeted. Again, this week he just targeted. I know. You know, what what do you do in those? And sometimes, like some of your evening anchors, really get a little emotional. Like you don't. It's really yeah. interesting. You don't. You don't have a lot of opinion. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it. You don't shade it as much as. Where whatever this, I mean, I think they shade more on Fox News, but they shade a lot on CNN and MSNBC. They definitely shade. You know? I think just you know, primetime broadcast a little bit, a little bit different. Right. I mean, it's just not my style, right? right. I, try, I try to try to play it. Uh, but as you much. still suffer from the consequences. I do. Okay, so 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 big picture, we do our best to ignore it mm-hmm. because the only direction, like I said, I get from my bosses is get it right and work hard. And fr- and frankly, you know, it encourages the mission. Of journalism, because when you're under it, when you're under attack mm-hmm. with purpose, right? Because because right. the fake news attacks oh, no. are on, with purpose. On purpose. Yes, absolutely no, being used for uh, and so that and Trump even said it in the famous Leslie Stahl interview. He said, "I I attack you so because when you have critical information, I can then undermine the source." I mean, Trump mm-hmm. said it in so many words. So mm-hmm. so that makes you know even more so what your role is. Mm-hmm. You know, expose wrongdoing. You know, shine light on issues that that don't have light shine shown on them, and that's, you know, on the positive side, mission affirming. So that's one thing. Two, ignore the BS. Mm-hmm. I just ignore it. You know, because I at the end of the day, I actually think that his attacks have less impact over time. I think people are getting more numb to them to some degree. There is the very serious side of it is that some people do listen, and there's a reason why we have armed guards. You know, at mm-hmm. CNN today, mm-hmm. and right. there's a reason why you have guards at Trump events. You mm-hmm. know, guarding the press pen because some people do listen to those attacks. There's, sure. a, there's a reason why when Poppy and I were on the air in September and we right. CNN received the, the bomb. Right. You know, that guy was listening. Yeah. Um, so it's it's important, but our reaction is to just put the nose down and move forward. Do you think you know? journalists should pull back a little bit? Some people think, no, don't. Like, Absolutely you have, not. Right, not pull back on, forget on, about on it. Do it. Forget about it. All right, so getting into substance, in the next section we're going to talk about how you decided to do this book and mm-hmm. what you're thinking about it. You, When did you write this book? <laughs> I wrote it on planes, trains, and in coffee shops. Uh, I, I didn't take time off. I wrote it between January of last year and July, uh, 80,000 words, and I just said I'm going to write 10,000 words a month, 2,500 words a week. All right. We're going to talk about it. We'll get back (laughs) here with Jim Shudo. He's the author of Shadow War, Inside Russia and Russia's and China's Secret Operations to Defeat America. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Searching for what to stream next? HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. If you're an early adopter, you get that your devices and your connections need to be fast and help make your life better. But you might be forgetting one thing. Tech should be fair, too. Fairness isn't a new idea, but it is to wireless. That's where U.S. Cellular comes in. At U.S. Cellular, people come first. And that means a fast, reliable connection with no hidden requirements and no activation fees. They'll even pay you back for unused data. When you upgrade to U.S. Cellular, you upgrade to FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com. We're here with Jim Shudo, the author of Shadow War. Jim is also uh, the na- chief national security correspondent for CNN. He, he's a co-anchor of CNN Newsroom uh, in the mornings on CNN. Um, talk about the book. So you were writing, you're saying you're, ri- you're writing it everywhere. Um, what was the impetus for writing it? What, was your, what the, were you trying to do? The impetus was that I spent years 
covering these countries, China and Russia, on multiple fronts of, of what I would perceive as this shadow war. And it struck me that folks weren't connecting the dots on this, not, not just members of the public, uh, journalists, the way we write about these stories, but also our leaders weren't connecting the dots on what, uh, when you look at the full picture, is a strategy. It's mm-hmm. a strategy by both Russia and China to undermine the U.S. on multiple fronts. And, and the fact is, both of them are very explicit in that strategy. They write about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wrote it, my motivation was as a concerned American, that I spent all these years in these places and I feel that my country is being undermined in a way uh, that is worrisome. Mm-hmm. Um, I want my kids to experience a world as free as the one I grew up in or, or a country as prosperous as the one I grew up in. And you have two countries that are intent on undermining that. Now, let's be clear. These two countries have always been trying to undermine the United True. States, right? So, but, but, but one of the things that I find interesting is, look, Russia lost the Cold War, lost it cold, like completely lost it. China, same thing, was never able to make the kind of incursions that they had hoped. But they have used technology to do so. You know yes. what I mean? So, but first talk about the history of, of, of their attempts to the, the non-shadow war because mm. there was, you know, it went on and on. And largely they lost due to our economic vitality, the mm. the, 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 the freedom, democracy just worked better yeah. for a lot more people and a lot more people lived better. Well, that's going back to the Cold War. So, so the Cold War ends right. in 91, Soviet right. Union collapses. And at the same time, it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm not, entirely equating Russia and China, but there are parallels no, to, to the development of this. Yeah. At the same time, China is liberalizing its Economics. economy, economically, making enormous strides. And in both cases, the U.S. And, and Meanwhile, Russia's not, and it's just sort of, a, except they have oil. Right? Well, but in the 90s, remember, mm-hmm. you know, we had this impression that Russia, that things were different. End of history, Russia and China want to play by our rules now. Mm-hmm. And if we engage them and bring them into the international fold, not only are we're going to make friends with them, but they're going to liberalize at home and modernize, yeah. uh, democratize, all this kind yeah. of stuff. Even in the face of years of contradictory evidence and information, Decades. that delusion persisted. Mm-hmm. And the folks I interview in this book who were serving in high positions during this time are self-critical in their analysis. They say that we could not give up this delusion, this mirroring is mm-hmm. a word that comes up a lot. Explain Imagine, what that means, mirroring. means thinking that they want what we want thinking that they're, that they're a mirror image of our interests and our motivations, but they're not, right? They, they, first of all, they have a different view. Of I wish you differentiate between them too. Between Russia and China. Yeah. And I will, you know, Russia, and again, there's some generalizing going on here, but the way folks will describe it, Russia is a zero-sum game player. That mm-hmm. They see it as an advantage any way they pull us down, politically, election interference, militarily, etc., China really wants to supplant us. Yes. Right? As as the dominant power in the world. So you kinda kinda Russia playing spoiler, China playing genuine competitor. Russia can't. They can't. They can't. They just, as folks often say, you know, they got an economy about the size of one US state. Mm -hmm. China's got an economy that's, you know, gonna surpass us at some point. Um, so uh, you know, those are the you know a spoiler and it's a planner. You're right. Okay. right. And, and one of the consistent way. themes of the book, though, is that the constant missignals, the constant misreading. And, and, and another point I make, and again, it's not a political book because there's a lot of blame to go around Democratic and Republican administrations. But each president comes in and says, I can get this right. Mm-hmm. George W. Bush looked into Putin's eye. I see a guy I could work with. Mm-hmm. Things go pear-shaped afterwards. Obama, reset button. Things go pear-shaped. Of course, Donald Trump is still in that space. He's like, I can get this right. Yeah. But, you know, well, hasn't worked out so well. Acquiescence seems to be his strategy. Yeah. Um, so uh, the others, uh, just I, I, I would have been fascinated by Hillary Clinton presidency with mm. Putin. That would have been one ugly fight. There's right? one. There's a reason Putin did not want her of to course, be president. Of course. Of course not. He, she had his number. Mm-hmm. Women know. Um, yes. Anyway. Um, always do. <laughs> women always don't creep. Um, so, 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 so we, we went up to the Cold War. We, we basically won the Cold War. Mm-hmm. We were doing very well economically, even though China was growing too. But in general, on still the dominant mm-hmm. country of the world, essentially. What, talk about how each of them then started to make different, different that you describe in your book. 
to make different decisions. Right. So, so Russia discord. That Russia discord, and particularly with Putin's rise, because Putin had a very adversarial relationship or view of the U.S., mm-hmm. and even paranoid to some degree. There, mm-hmm. There's a fair amount of paranoia that infects his view of everything is designed mm-hmm. to kind of take him down. Yeah, and I never you, noticed that. And you see the photographs with those horses. Yeah. <laughs> 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 fucked up person. The topless okay. horseback rider. I mean, honestly, you just, yeah. that's all I need to know is that picture, but go ahead. Exactly. Um, so, so Putin was a change for Russia, and, and I'm not saying Yeltsin was a was a was a hero or anything, but there was definitely a, a, a change in aggressiveness at that point. And they love him in Russia, by the way. That's something that people don't realize. They love Putin in there. They're they're not. It's not a even a. It's not. They're not. I mean, forced to love him. You're right. No, and I make that point for both Russia and China that neither is anything close to a democracy, but mm-hmm. they both have domestic politics. Mm-hmm. And, and Putin and Xi are good at appealing to those domestic politics, right? right. Of now is our time. Right. Don't let Russia, don't let America, you know, keep us under uh, their thumb. Right. You know, we're pushing back. This is, an, this is a, you know, our time to regain our place right. in the so world. All right, so Russia discord, this, this is through, through things. And they use media, they use social media, they use technology, hacking. Multiple everything. fronts, right? So, okay, so, so I, talk about my, my, my sense is Americans are aware of maybe one of the fronts or two of the fronts. They think about it. Election interference. Okay, no question. We're talking about that. We're having a national conversation. Do they know that Russia has deployed weapons in space, right? Mm -hmm. They're up there right now. Kamikaze satellites can take out our satellites. Uh, There are directed energy weapons in space. Lasers in space. That's what the Space Space Command calls calls them. Uh, And then China has... And they're designed to hurt our communication system. They're designed to take them out. Not just communications. Surveillance satellites, nuclear early warning satellites, GPS, on which are a whole host of military technologies depend. Smart Mm -hmm. bombs aren't smart. Drones don't fly, uh, et cetera. Um, I'm assuming we have the same weapons up there. Well, no, not deployed. And that's a decision we have... we have those capabilities, but we haven't deployed them to the, to the degree that China and Russia had. And that, that's a decision that has to be made. Is, mm-hmm. the, is that the best deterrent or does that lead to a space arms race? That's mm-hmm. part of the, you know, that's part of the calculation that has to be made today. Um, space force, but go ahead. Space force, exactly. Uh, so they do that because they know we're dependent on it. It's classic asymmetric warfare. Um, and in the event of war, they take that away from us. And it's also civilian technologies, as you know, better than me, dependent on space assets. You know, GPS timestamps, keep the financial markets going. That's space. Uh, under the waves, you, you have a new submarine arms race that's been undergo- underway for years, Russia deploying faster, quieter submarines. Why does that matter? Uh, with a submarine that's faster and quieter, it can pop up off our, off our coastline in the event of war and rain down nuclear warheads mm-hmm. without warning. And they show off that capability. You, you've, you've seen stories about Russian subs popping up off the coast of Florida. Uh, U.S. submarine commanders, and I spend time on a U.S. sub under the Arctic where they're training to track Russian subs, will grant that they can't track them as well as they used to. And that's a military change, a technology change with intent by Russia. So you got the information ops kind of stuff, election interference. You got space weapons, you know, with with military intent. Mm-hmm. You've got an arms race under the waves, again, with military atten- intent. And as in any sort of asymmetric battlefield, these are the spaces where Russia and China too – uh, calculate that they can compete with us, right? right? They can't build 12 aircraft carriers tomorrow, but they got very good submarines. Right. Um, and then you have uh, the broader cyber issue, which I know you, you've covered you know, extensively. Disinformation. Dif- disinformation, but also going after critical inf- infrastructure. infrastructure. They already have the ability to go after water treatment, power grids, etc. So, you know, coming back to why I wrote this book, I've been covering each of these fronts, and I'm not hearing folks... Uh, certainly in the White House, but elsewhere, talking about how those fronts fit together. Mm-hmm. And it is an explicit strategy. And, and although Russia and China are very different countries in a thousand different ways, they've struck on a similar strategy for undermining the U.S. All right. So that's Russia, China. Mm-hmm. So China, active in those same fronts. It's got space weapons. Its innovation is what U.S. Space Command calls a kidnapper satellite. It's got a grappling arm they can snatch satellites out of orbit, Moonraker style. Mm-hmm. They're up there. They're active. So they're stealing them. They can. They, they haven't can. done it yet, but in the event of war, they can. And they've tested this capability right up to geostationary, so right up to 20,000 miles. Mm-hmm. To be able to do that, you got to have fantastic maneuverability, uh, situational awareness, et cetera. They've demonstrated that capability. So China's in space. China is also under the waves. Uh, 
they, they don't do nuclear subs as much as diesel electric. Diesel electric is quieter. Mm-hmm. There was a Chinese sub that, turned, that, that popped up in the midst of a U.S. carrier group without warning a number of months ago. That Whoa. scared the bejesus out of U.S. naval commanders Just because popped up? they didn't know it was coming. And when you can pop up in the middle of them, of course, you could have already launched the torpedoes and, you know, they're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're there. China also does election so China interference. China has been known for this, right? No. Yeah. And they, you know. They, They've been known for space. Though, they obviously. have been known for space. You know, they, they famously blew up a mm-hmm. satellite in space uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, but submarine warfare. China's. The, the accident, you mean, that blew up. Well, they, they, they shot a missile to, to take out a satellite yeah, right. in space. Exactly. Yeah. And, and whenever a country does it, by the way, the U.S. has done this more right. than once, uh, we always say, well, the satellite is it's in a de- de- degrading orbit and it mm-hmm. threatens people in South America, no, whatever. I mean, it's, it's a missile test. It's a so. missile test. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, I believe no act. Whenever there's an accident like that, wasn't an accident. No. It's covering no. up something else um, where they were trying to do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. China's missiles are designed to destroy U.S. aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. And they've got enormous – they've had enormous success over here, anti-access aerial denial. That's a, that's a whole – you know, they create kind of a web of fire that keeps mm-hmm. U.S. carriers off the coast. So China, by the way, does election interference too. Mm-hmm. Um, Australia has had particular uh, experience with this. Uh, but, you know, w- when China is reducing soybean purchases from Iowa, right, mm-hmm. in the midst of this trade war, that is – trying to maximize pain on Iowa farmers with political effect in the U.S. It's basically election interference. Mm-hmm. And China has also done probing attacks like Russia has of election systems. So, so they all not operate. not disinformation. Okay. Not, not Russian troll farm kind of level mm-hmm. stuff. They have the capability of do- doing it. They of haven't done they do. it. Yeah. Of course, the other aspect that China has enormous success in, I have a whole chapter on this, is just straight up stealing state secrets, national mm-hmm. security, intellectual property, and private sector intellectual property. And I, I tell the story of just a single hacker not a hacker, a single spy, Stephen Sue, uh, who over the course of four years stole hundreds of gigabytes of data on the F-35, uh, the F-22, and the C-17. Mm-hmm. And today, Russia is flying three jets that look a heck of a lot like the F-35, Russia's. the F-20. Russia's. Sorry, China is F-35, right. uh, the F-22, and the C-17 because mm-hmm. he was so successful over four years. Uh, he was caught by the FBI, but only four years in. And I interview the former head of counterintelligence for the FBI, Bob Anderson, who says, we're aware of about 10% of what China's doing. Mm-hmm. 10%. Of what they're stealing. They're, they're also, uh, to give them credit, doing a lot of their own technology and spreading it all over the world. And so becoming, just the way they're buying up mining, you know, rare earth minerals, yep. everything else, they're also deploying their technology in place, spatial surveillance, they're giving them mm-hmm. to other countries to try to become the dominant technology force in the world the way the U.S. has been. Yep. Um, Huawei is a Huawei. good example of this. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's easy to say they steal everything. They don't just steal everything. They actually are innovating their way no, into and dominance. No, I, I don't. I've actually been to Huawei's headquarters uh, in Shenzhen and um, – Credit where credit's due, right? right? They do a good job stealing, and that is, you right. know, expressly to catch mm-hmm. up to the U.S. Right. But China is ahead of the game. You know this better than in me artificial in artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. quantum computing, mm-hmm. this kind of thing. They're damn good at mm-hmm. what they do. Of course, it helps to cheat, too, right. along the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not that we don't cheat, but it's mm-hmm. an interesting question. Say, who's going to dominate the next uh, the next phase is something that's interesting that's mm-hmm. been debated. And, of course, Silicon Valley people are saying, let us stay large so that we can compete against China. It's never Russia. Yeah, it's never Russia. They're they're just irritating. Russia's mm-hmm. just irritating, and yep. it's China that we're gonna. They're gonna. We need to be big in order to fight China. Which I'm. My answer is always: Do we really want to get an arms race with China over facial recognition, for mm. example? Mm. Do we? Do is or or will there be two? Will there be two internets? Will be there will be two yeah. systems? That's what's going to happen. Yeah. There's going to be their system and our system, and then it will be a global race to compete of who dominates in other countries. Like yep. who? What? Who? What is the? Is it a Western democracy system or is it a Chinese? technology-dominated system. Mm-hmm. When you get back, I want to talk a little bit about more what the repercussions of this are because most of our technology is built in China. Mm-hmm. And not built in Russia, but built in China. And should that happen? Should that be? What are some of the things we can do to, to push this back? And what are some of the things the U.S. is doing or not doing yep. when we get back? We're here with Jim Shudo. He's the author of The Shadow War Inside Russia and China's Secret Operations to Defeat America. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. 
You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back with Jim Shudo. He's the author of The Shadow War. It's about Russia and China's, uh, with their efforts to to hurt the United States mm-hmm. or to dominate over the United States. What is... What do you think? We, we, we just on the on the regular front, we make a lot of things in China. Mm-hmm. Should that be? Should we be making our phones in China? I've never thought we should. Well, it's 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 a it's an enormous opening for mm-hmm. for is, like bad behavior, isn't yeah. it? You know, it, Rick Leggett, former deputy director of the NSA, on this, he makes the point that China has laws that require mm-hmm. their technology companies to work with their security services beyond right. the fact that. Listen, there's no real firewall between mm-hmm. the, the industries there. I mean, you, you got the straight-up state-owned enterprises sure. and you have the other yeah. ones, but they still they have it. a tight relationship and directors mm-hmm. on the board, whatever. So, you know, they got to do it. They mm-hmm. got to do it. Right. Um, uh, and and that's, a, you know, that's a problem. And that's why, you know, when you look, for instance, we, we spoke about Huawei, you know, you understand. deploy 5G, but go yep, ahead. You understand why U.S. security services are concerned about it. I remember that moment. Uh, during uh, Hill testimony when all the intelligence chiefs were there and they were asked about ZTE. Would mm-hmm. they use a ZTE phone? And they all said no, you mm-hmm. know, because they're concerned about a backdoor and a ZTE phone. I mean, you look at the Russia thing too. Why does no government agency use Kaspersky Labs now, right? Because they were worried about what was a good techno- technolo- you know, technology product, you know, do you trust that, you know, right. to, to screen your computer? So Probably what not. do you do as a therapist? Because, you know, I don't agree with Donald Trump on much, but I got to say, I don't think we should be using Huawei. I'm kind of like, yeah, Huawei is a problem. Yeah, from a, from a national security point of view. I don't yeah. think, I'm not sure that's why he's doing it, but it's some of these things. Is should How can we be working with them? Because obviously China is going to be a technological leader. Yeah. And so there has to be global cooperation between technology. Obviously, Apple makes a lot of things in China. Obviously, mm-hmm. Google does. You know, Google trying to go in there. Um, how do we work with them and at the same time protect our national security interests? It's a question. You know, just beginning with Trump's, you know, you know, addressing this issue. Credit where credit is due. He's confronting China on on what is a genuine issue, not just trade misbehavior, but but national security, a, a true national security threat. So, you know. Can you work together on these essential technologies when you have enterprises that abide by government rules and a country which is calculated that its survival or the, well, the leadership of that country is calculated that its survival is dependent on control? Of its own people, which, which, which and they, a lot of the funding. I was just at an yeah. event where so a China expert was talking about how much money they spent in, on internal. The reason they're so into facial recognition is, and AI combined is because they need to control this population. Yes. Not just the the, the the abuses, the marginalized people they're doing, mm-hmm. the spying they're doing on different right the groups, Uyghurs, for instance, Uyghurs yeah. and stuff. The whole population's yep. under surveillance. Absolutely, it's a it is a they have perfected using technology. As a means of repression. They have to. Well, they've calculated that because— They have to to control the country. Well, exactly. Because they've calculated, I mean, essentially, I mean, that's a bigger conversation. I guess it's a crisis of legitimacy because they've they've calculated that they they can't keep this population of 1.4 billion in in check without having that kind of control. Mm -hmm. And that's a sad Well, you see the numbers on internal— the, the estimates of how much they spend on internal surveillance, it's Mm -hmm. really— That's all it says to me is it's— it's remarkable. They're worried about dissent. They are. They can't have dissent. No. Right. Um, and I remember when I went to the Huawei headquarters, and this is a number of years ago, I remember walking through. I'm sure they wouldn't let us do this again, but walking through the quarters. And any door that was open, I felt like there were about 1,000 people in there <laughs> at a terminal. And uh, now that's Huawei. It's a company that makes a lot of pro- mm-hmm. products, that kind of thing. But um, Bob Anderson, again, former head of counterintel of the FBI in the, in the chapter on stealing of state secrets, he talks about how – you know, China does a great job of just enlisting its intellectual and technological firepower in the service of the government. You got the people who are expressly working for the security agencies, but they have, he says, they 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 have sort of a he called it a national service program for <laughs> for highly capable technological students to do the work of hacking for the for the government. You know, mm-hmm. to to be. Uh, 
So the whole system is built mm -hmm. on preserving that power and using the technology to do so and enlisting people in the service of the government. And then, there, of course, there's AI in terms of, of uh, weapon, uh, weapons that are uh, that are done this way. You know, they just do they, – they're, they're becoming dominant in AI. Again, yes. not Russia, China. And when I ask the folk, you know – a lot of this, again, part of the motivation for writing this book is whenever I would ask senior intelligence officials, okay, give me your top five threats, right? What keeps you up at night? They would always have Russia and China at the top mm -hmm. of the list. And some, some would put Russia ahead of China, but most of them put China ahead of, ahead of Russia. Um, but then when I say, okay, so give me the next fields of battle, and of course they'll say, they'll say space, but they all say AI as mm -hmm. well, that this is, you know, we're already there in some respects, but that's, that's a next field of competition, and meaning what? How meaning so? that, well, listen, AI is a powerful weapon, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that— And it, obviously Kai-Fu Lee has written about this. And absolutely. And, and it's—I it's, um, mean, some make the argument to me that AI is already in play in some mm -hmm. ways because in the cyberspace, the, you know, of course, the decisions are made in mm -hmm. microseconds that human beings can't complicate. So, so already those tools are operating somewhat independently from— human control to some degree, at least in the moment. But just the idea that you, you know, also when you speak of drone technology, mm -hmm. right, that, you know, the, the systems that manage those swarms of drones, that kind of thing will have some artificial intelligence. and Everything. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. So. I think the issue is that we will, right now, we will debate the ethics of it. We mm. will debate the diversity in it, and they won't at all. They well, don't. that's true. No, that's true. And that's why we'll be hindered. Perhaps, perhaps. Well, that's the argument yeah. that we shouldn't. That the argument for the well is let's not debate it. Let's just go full steam ahead, right. which I think is wrong because look where it's gotten us with social media. So what are you? What are the biggest threats right now from each of these countries? And what does defeat look like mm. to them? What's their goal? So it, both of them speak in terms of permanent conflict. That this mm. is over time. There's no signing ceremony on the Missouri in, in this because mm -hmm. it's happening over time insidiously. And again, with them calculating what is our threshold uh, that they can operate under without sparking a decisive response, right? Mm -hmm. So it just goes on forever, just eating away at American mm -hmm. advantages, that kind of thing. Um, well, that's – so So for, for China, though, the ambition is to supplant the U.S. economically and militarily. Will we know it? I mean, you're sort of like the, the frog in the boiling water. The temperature keeps going up. Will mm -hmm. we not recognize it until, wait a second, we're not, we're no longer the world power. You know, it, it, it's not going to happen in a day. It'll happen over the course of many days and years. Um, so, you know, th they, they may achieve victory without us realizing it. And that's, again, part of the reason I write the book is that we're already in a war without realizing it, right? Mm -hmm. And certainly the public's not aware of it, and our leaders are not speaking well, of it in those terms. There's a little more with the election interference with the— Yeah, but they, yeah, for sure, but without realizing that at the same time you, you're getting attacked on other fronts right. and losing ground so on other what, fronts. So what is the U.S. doing? What, what is the U.S. doing? So, we're not just sitting here. No, we're not. I mean, the, first it started with recognition, and, and, and speaking in terms of a shadow war, though, though they don't use that exact term— um, is something that U.S. military commanders do. It's something that folks in cyber command do, et cetera. Uh, making piecemeal decisions of consequence, but without a clearly articulated vision. And I'll give you an example. I mean, again, we talked about this, the Trump administration enabling some offensive cyber weapons in response to uh, intrusive attacks by Russia and China. Um, you know, in other words, meet them out on the battlefield here. So you've had that happen. Um, the U.S. has not made a decision exactly how to respond to threats in space, although we are starting to send satellites into space that have greater maneuverability so they could get out so of the way of the bad guys. Crazy. They've got grapplers. What are we going to do? Well, Just we, shoot them. You could. I mean, you, a couple of things you're talking about. Sending satellites up with some shielding so that they could resist the effects of directed energy weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, the former head of uh, Space Command, he talks about sending satellites up with the equivalent of carrier escorts, right? Mm -hmm. So other satellites that could help push off, you mm -hmm. know, even, even lay kind of depth charges in space term mm -hmm. to, you know, so you're, you're talking in those terms. They, they haven't made the decision on offense, but they are making decisions on defense in space. Um, in terms of tying it together and responding in a, with, a con, with a contiguous national strategy, it hasn't been articulated yet. And, and one, one point— In any of these We don't have leadership. And, and Is it just this— Administration or is it previous? 
previous administrations didn't recognize it sufficiently. Uh, they were at least willing to identify Russia mm -hmm. as a threat, particularly you can give this administration credit for identifying China as a greater threat, you know, the trade space, stolen state secrets, et cetera. Uh, but you need a whole of government response, which requires uh, focus from the very top, articulation of a strategy from the very top. Uh, in this administration, focusing on China, but still want to identify Russia as the threat that it is. Mm -hmm. You can't have that leadership. And don't don't course, take my word for it. It's, it's you, the sub-commanders want the leadership. Uh, the space commanders want the leadership. The folks in the NSA want the leadership. But there is only partisanship. They can't make basic decisions together. Do you imagine the political climate changing so that happens? Or is Russia, is it worked? They've created dissent and you, discord. You have to depoliticize this threat. And, and this threat has been supremely politicized by the president. Russia uh, has and China has too. Russia. Well, they have for sure. You know, Jim Clapper makes a great point in comparison. Explain he says who he is. Jim Clapper, former director of national intelligence, mm -hmm. to speak to him. And, and again, He's been politicized as well. But he yes, served 50 he years has. in intelligence and served Democrats yeah. and Republicans. Yeah. He says that America does not do uh, future threats well. He imagines a scenario where George Tenet in August of 2001 says, we're getting a lot of chatter about terrorists targeting aviation in the U.S., so I'm going to require all Americans to take their shoes off and not carry liquids on planes and go through an extra level of screening. Mm -hmm. And he said, Americans would have said, no way. 9-11 happens, you get woken up. The trouble is you can argue the U.S. did have its sort of Pearl Harbor with mm -hmm. the election interference in 2016 or should have because that was a consequential mm -hmm. attack on our most sacred institution. Mm -hmm. But it, it had been politicized oh, uh, Trump, by yeah. one side, Trump, by Trump, so that you can't identify it in a mm -hmm. unified way and therefore respond to it. So what happens? Well, without without getting together and, uh, and thinking about uh, – a national strategy to respond and taking actual steps, they're going to continue to win, right? Uh, I have a final chapter where I lay out what smart people say are a series of steps that need to be taken. All right, talk about the steps and then talk about what okay. winning would be for them. Okay, start us. Good, more than half a dozen of them. One, know the enemy. So get get over this delusion that they want what we want, and and that's happening now. You got to defend our institutions better. Mm -hmm. um, that's simple. Sounds simple. Can you do it when you have a president who's had only one cabinet-level meeting on election security and, mm -hmm. and you can't bring it up in his presence, according to mm -hmm. the chief of staff, because he doesn't want to talk about it? No. you got to get over you got to get over that hurdle. You have to set clear red lines about where the U.S. will not allow Russia and China to, to attack, uh, whether it's invade a country in Europe, create territory in the South China Sea, uh, mess with our elections – deploy space satellites. We have to set what the red lines are. Well, Jim, he said he didn't do it. Uh, there you go. I asked him, and he, Putin said he didn't do Can it. Can I tell you what that Helsinki moment means for the folks who, who are on the front lines of this? That was one that, that in, in a thousand, inter well, not a thousand, dozens of worst. interviews for this book, identified as a worse moment. Worst. I thought the it worst. was. like, are you kidding me? And again, it's, it's not a political point. I was thinking of all the people that do the work. They I was sort of like, are you kidding me? Felt undermined and embarrassed by it. So that can't happen. So you set the red lines, but you also have you to raise— I hope someone else went and just ignore him. Well. That's what I'm hoping. I'm assuming that's what happened. Even a Pence would go in and go. Mm. The question becomes, who does who does Russia listen to? Does it listen to them or does it listen? To no, the not that. But the people mm. who are working for us mm. just ignore him. Mm. They get those messages all the time. Yeah. But Russia doesn't ignore the president's comments. You know, neither does China. No, but the like, don't do what he said. I hear you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think there's a lot of don't do what he said going on. There is. There well, is. you saw that in just some of the of the Mueller report. Don't do what he said. Uh, well, exactly. Or you know the taken memos off his desk, right? Which is you know, terrible. This kind Which of thing. Terrible. So that does happen. But just on that point for a moment, Russia and China look to the signals coming from the top when right. they calculate how far they can push. Right. Back. So it does, right. it does have consequences. No, you're constantly having to clean up a mess. Raising the cost to a point that it changes behavior. We, we, you know, our favorite response is to, is to slap sanctions on this mm -hmm. and that. And has that, you know, Russia's still in Crimea and eastern Ukraine. China mm -hmm. is still on these man-made islands in the South China Sea. Clearly, the response to 2016 interference didn't work because they tried again in 2018 and will try again in 2020. Raise the costs with consequence. And in the book, there's a discussion of a few ways to go about it. And I mean, there are, of course, the idea of sector-based sanctions, right? Go mm -hmm. after Russian oil. That has enormous economic consequences. But what about information ops of your own? Oh, we're doing that. Well, 
Ash, well, we are, but, but to what degree? Ash Carter brings up the idea of what if you expose Putin for the thief that he is to his own people? Mm-hmm. Expose his financial, maybe, maybe. Care. What if you expose, here's, they, here's they something. Clap for him. Here's something that Carter brought up as well. Mm-hmm. What if you expose all the Russian boys that are dying in Syria? Russia lies about well, the Russian regulars. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so you have – some of them can be clever. You know, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they're, um, you know, these are the discussions that – I don't know. That's that a country that feels so bad about and so, so manifestly insecure as a country. Mm. You know, if countries could be people, it's literally the most insecure country on the planet. And so they have to feel good about themselves. Yeah. And so believe almost anything. Yeah. I've been there many times and I'm, I'm always like this country is – we're crazy, but they're crazier. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, no, you I, do. It, I do. You know, it's like, wow, that's really inaccurate. And, and it's uh, – I think it, it, at some level, even though we make fun of ourselves, I think even the most um, most Trump supporters do get the joke. You know what I mean? Like they don't – they aren't diehards in the way I you think you. they are. I you know what I mean? And there I, I found it to be fascinating in terms of how they feel about Putin. But, uh, but getting back to – go ahead. Sorry. So go ahead. So, so, so set red lines. Set red lines. Uh, Make like re- the way Reagan made it costly to me. I think one of the reasons the Cold War, whatever you mm-hmm. think of Reagan, he made it so costly. Then we put them into economic turmoil. Exactly, and they couldn't. We just outspent them. Yep, at, at cost to us. So that's the thing. You have to raise it to cost the, 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 to that make a difference and change the behavior. We clearly what haven't struck on thing? that. What was his thing? The space thing. SDI. Just saying that was enough. Just saying it was like, that was enough. To me, I was like, everyone was sort of intelligent. I'm like, no, no, that will drive them crazy. Absolutely. Um, So you have that. I mean, there are other, you know, strength and alliances. I mean, this is the thing. We're in a space where NATO has never been, not never, but it's been a long time since NATO was as relevant as it is today, right? Because you need that unity to stand up to Russia. Mm -hmm. And when when you have public discussion, from the president, uh, questioning the yeah. usefulness of the United that, that makes a difference, and Russia mm-hmm. takes those signals. So alliances matter more, not less mm-hmm. today. Um, that's that's of issue. Uh, the other the other area that there there's frequent agreement on is you need treaties for space and cyber. We mm-hmm. don't have treaties for them. We do not. That's and true. and you need to set. You know, we, we listen. We we have negotiated treaties with that enemies before. We did it during the Cold War. We we got a red phone right, so mm-hmm. that you know reduce the chances of mm-hmm. nuclear conflagration. Mm-hmm. You need something similar for space and for cyber. Difficult to sit across the table from these people, but but there is mutual uh, interest in establishing some sort of parameters around this because everyone but everybody would suffer from a space conflict. Listen, you blow up some satellites in space that you can't use those orbits for years mm-hmm. afterwards. So everybody pays. You got to find a way to avoid that kind of scenario. Right, right. Yeah, so mutual assured destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, which of the two countries do you think is most reason? I would think China because yes. their economic interest. They love. Their economic interests. The general view you get is that you know that Russia is the, maybe the more aggressive short-term threat, mm-hmm. uh, but China is is the the much more much longer term, more capable existential threat over time. Just mm-hmm. bigger economy, bigger population, greater capability. Also, greater great knowledge. Co- capability of working with them. Correct. Well, we, things yes, are at, if you have things at stake. You have things at stake. You do, and I make the point. People frequently make the point that during the Cold War, we had a couple billion dollars a year of trade with the Soviet Union, basically nothing. We've got 600 billion a year now. So, so there, is, there, there are mutual interests in maintaining a relationship. And actually, in the midst of this trade war, we're seeing... So what's the impact of this trade war now? Well, it could be pretty darn bad, right? Uh, it, so for who? Well, for both. Right. For both of us. I mean, I always say to people, okay, you, you, you want to stop buying stuff from China. Look around your living room, how mm-hmm. much stuff is made in China. Are you willing to pay two or three times as much for your flat screen TV or your mm-hmm. furniture, et cetera? You may be, you know, most Americans can't afford that. Mm-hmm. You may be, but that's, that's a consequence of, of cutting off that kind of trading relationship. You could say the same about Mexico, I suppose, in a, in a lot of circumstances. So um, you have the potential here of exacting punishment from, from both sides. I mean, another one is you, you mentioned rare earths earlier, right? The U.S. stopped mining the stuff China is now using that as a cudgel against us, saying, "We'll stop exporting that mercury. to you." Mercury. My yeah. brother, my brother's an anesthesiologist. He's always talking about mercury. Yeah, there you go. There's so, a couple things he talks about. A couple anesthesia stuff that mm-hmm. he's an anesthesiologist, and he's like, "We cannot get this anymore because China bought up all of it yeah. or something." It was really. I was like, "What?" Yeah, Isn't that's incredible. Yeah. I know. He's like, "No, this is really bad. This mm-hmm. is a bad, bad thing for my job." And it was. A, and he's just a doctor. He's mm-hmm. just a doctor. So, what's the answer? Is what should we do? All these things you talked about. What's the critically most important thing we need to watch out for? And what what would 
besides Trump educating himself on some of this stuff, what what is does it have to be from Trump or does it can be from other leaders? Well, it could be from – I mean Congress can mm-hmm. speak about it in these terms. We haven't heard it. Military leaders are uh, – intelligence officials are speaking about it. But they, they need the resources and they need to mobilize us, right? Because we have to be involved. And I, I will say that there is there is a uh, public element to this as well. Mm-hmm. I spent time – spent a lot of time in Estonia on this because I, mm-hmm. I love Estonia. Uh, but here's a little tiny country of 3 million people who has been – beaten up by Russia repeatedly, mm-hmm. and yet they've stood up. They've stood up. And, and the president of Estonia, who I interview, they talk a lot about cyber hygiene. I, mm-hmm. I know you've talked about it on mm-hmm. your broadcast that, you know, we're only as good as our weakest link, mm-hmm. any, any system in terms of these kinds of attacks, particularly the blunt force kind of stuff. I tell the story in here about how John Podesta lost his emails. I'm, oh, man. Uh, you that know, was too easy. The fake Gmail. I could have hacked John Podesta. I know. The fake Gmail I thing. Like, oh, so, I was like, John Podesta probably like, had a password, one, two, three, four. Well, he may have. But you know, the story too is he sent it to his IT person or his assistant did. IT person recognized it as an illegitimate Gmail mm-hmm. password reset but, but autocorrected it in the email back to legitimate. They click on the link and the rest is history. Incredible. You know, we, we, we all have to be smarter about how we handle this kind of stuff because, you know, you could get in at any institution mm-hmm. by oh, totally. by, by an, an easy spear phishing email, totally. you know. Totally. So our own so response is all every man for himself? Yes. Well, else, not every man. Or else we have submarines or, we're all or on kamikaze. We're, we're all in on Jim, this. Jim, you, sh- you scare the shit out of me now. But there's a way forward. I'm kamikaze. an optimist. Oh, now we I just wanna, have now to Now I'm going to have to call Elon Musk up and figure <laughs> out what we need to do. Exactly. Is Elon, Elon sending up something like that, isn't he? He may be. No, he's not. You haven't met Elon. Um, it, listen. As we privatize space, that's really interesting because in this country, privatization of space is what's happening, which is bad because then you don't have big strategic initiatives the way they have in these other countries. Right. Uh, in terms of competition. Now, mm-hmm. now, and again, so I don't want people not to sleep at night. You know, I do want people to think about this because I'm concerned about it as an American. Mm-hmm. There are smart people and good Americans thinking about this and taking, taking steps. Mm-hmm. But – uh, until we demand more from our leaders on a strategy yeah. for responding to this, oh, no. and and if we don't aren't willing to do more ourselves, then we're going to be the frog in the boiling water, right? That over time, Jim, you know, you lost this. Bumming me out, Jim. Well, we're never going to win, are we? Just well, well, we can we can stop losing, <laughs> okay. and we're losing now. <laughs> <laughs> we can stop losing. Thank yeah. you, Jim, for those. <laughs> you should run for office on that. Yeah, exactly. That's quite I'm a for not sticker. losing anymore. <laughs> You're, we're going to not lose. So much that you're going to be sick of not exactly, losing. <laughs> exactly. That's not a, not the greatest hashtag. You can't listen. I will say one thing on okay. the positive point because because it is more than just not losing. I'm convinced of this, and I, I don't mean to wave the flag too much, but I believe it. Um, we have much more to offer the world than Russia and that China. Our systems do, and, and this is to some degree a clash of ideas. What kind of world do you want to live in? I thought we'd get them with the sneakers and the McDonald's, but I thought we'd just and the jeans. Them. I thought we would. They'd be like, oh well. I know we should have. Um, didn't. We have more to didn't offer. Worked on France. And let's be frank. People are not clamoring for right. a CCP, That's a Chinese Communist Party. They're not clamoring for no, Putinist. You know. Uh, on the other hand, they're not regime. clamoring for doing anything about it. They, the fact that people don't care about. I was literally at. A party yesterday and it was talking about a stolen election in Georgia, which I think I do believe Brian Kemp played games there. And I, who knows if Russia was involved and stuff like that and things like that. And some literally an intelligent person at the party was like, oh, who cares? Wow. And I almost decked this man. Yeah. I was like, who cares? Like, what do you, how, you can't prove it. I'm like, oh my God, that you're starting from not caring is really a problem. Like I they, care. I do too. I do too. And I think that people do get tired of it when Trump keeps tweeting about it and everybody yep. gets exhausted. It's meant to be exhausting. And that's how you win. Exactly. Over time, you numb people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Jim, this is a fascinating book. I urge you all to read it. It's Jim Shudo. He's from CNN, but he's more than that. He's more than an anchor, <laughs> anchor man. Um, he's the author of a recently released book called The Shadow War Inside Russia's and China's Secret Operations to Defeat America. We shall not let them defeat us on the beaches or in the cyberspace. Anyway, thank you, Jim, for coming on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks to you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer is Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at A-A-E-S-J. What is yours, Jim? How do people find you? At Jim Shudo. 
and the then book. Spell it like prosciutto. prosciutto. And the book is The Shadow War, and it's Does available it have a special everywhere. Special Twitter handle. Uh oh, we're fucked. At <laughs> <laughs> we're fucked. It does have a Twitter hashtag, the Shadow War. Okay, the Shadow War. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend and make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. Just search for them on your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Matt Tamarillo. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. HBO Max brings all of HBO to your fingertips, plus an epic list of new Max originals. Whether you're into animation, classic movies, or binge-worthy series, HBO Max's suggested collections are curated by real humans, not robots, so you find the right thing to watch every time. With thousands of options for you and the family to choose from, it's the streaming platform of your dreams. HBO Max, where HBO needs so much more. Start streaming now at hbomax.com. Hold up. 